It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Violent carjacking in Abbotsford. Makes you look around, makes you more want to be more careful. A man is shot during a robbery, resulting in a police hunt across the Lower Mainland. Spilled grain and a burned-out engine mark the spot of one of two train derailments in as many days in southeastern BC. Pink Mitten Comeback. Our company here of women are passionate about supporting women. After a 10-year hiatus, a breast cancer fundraiser returns by popular demand. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Several people have been arrested after an apparent violent carjacking in Abbotsford. It all happened last evening in a busy parking lot full of shoppers and community centre users. Angela Jung has the story. Shots rang out at this Abbotsford shopping complex. It happened just after 7 p.m. Saturday when some businesses were still open. We are not safe here. We don't feel safe here, right? Because every um, day, Monday to Friday, the, all the kids come to here. The school is very close. The strip mall is located at Town Line Road and Blue Ridge Drive, where there's a dance school, daycare, and various businesses. A worker at this grocery store didn't want to appear on camera because he's afraid for his safety, but tells us he helped the victim. Just seconds after he heard a bang, a man came into the store stumbling and asking him to call 911. The worker tells us that the victim told him he and a friend were sitting in the car when someone entered from the back first threatening them with a knife. And when they ran out of the vehicle, that's when one of them got shot. Abbotsford police say the man was taken to hospital, but wouldn't elaborate on his injuries. This family day long weekend, the complex is bustling. Hundreds of people coming through for a hockey tournament. This Okanagan family says the incident is unnerving. A little scary, hey? Yeah. Don't like to hear that. Don't like to no. hear that there's a, a shooting in and around a sports complex. The robbery suspects drove off with the victim's vehicle. Police deployed in force, including an RCMP chopper. They tracked the vehicle to Coquitlam, where the suspects were arrested. A Cadillac could be seen towed away on a flatbed truck. You don't hear about like carjackings like that here. So definitely um, makes you look around, makes you more want to be more careful. It's unclear if the victim knew the robber. Abbotsford police say investigators are looking into what triggered the shooting. Angela Jung, Global News. One person is dead, two others in critical condition after a serious crash on Highway 1 in Burnaby. A tarp covers one of the vehicles involved. Police say the white car was stopped on the shoulder at the Sprott Street exit around 3.45 this morning. Four people were inside. They say an SUV then drove up and hit the car destroying the car's rear end. One woman died at the scene. Three others were rushed to hospital, two of them in critical condition. 
The driver of the second vehicle was treated at the scene for minor injuries. No word yet what caused the crash, though police say drugs and alcohol are not believed to be factors. A nuclear gauge stolen from North Vancouver last week has been recovered in Surrey. This is what it looks like. The Troxler 3430 model was inside a grey 2004 Mazda 6 and was taken from the parkade of a fitness centre on Marine Drive Tuesday night. The device was found this afternoon near 176th Street and 64th Avenue. The gauge does contain a small amount of radioactive material, but RCMP say the threat to the public was minimal. After a recent heated council meeting in Richmond, a civil servant in the Kootenays is calling for more professional conduct in municipal politics. Councillors, all in favour? I've called the question. All in favour? This was one of the latest meetings in Richmond where the public clashed with councillors. Now, Silverton's chief administrative officer has sent a letter to the Union of BC Municipalities highlighting similar issues of bullying, harassment and intimidation that they and other communities have been dealing with. I've had people come to my home. Um, uh, I've had people stop in the street and yell at me, yell at my wife. It's discouraging people from running for office. This is becoming a new normal and it's got to stop. Ferguson says these incidents have caused a record number of elected officials to resign, including himself. The letter asks the Union of BC Municipalities to get the province to address the crisis of uncivil behaviour affecting local government. The Transportation Safety Board is now looking into two train derailments that happened in BC within two days, one near Revelstoke, the other near Field. Both trains were operated by Canadian Pacific, Kansas City Railway. Canadian Pacific Kansas City Railway crews are cleaning up after a train derailed about 13 kilometres east of Revelstoke. It happened around 10 o'clock Friday night when one train hit the rear of another that was stopped on the track. Four locomotives and four grain cars derailed, two crew members were sent to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, and a fire that started in one of the derailed locomotives had to be extinguished. The second train derailment happened on Saturday near the community of Field, about 15 kilometres west of the Alberta border. The Transportation Safety Board confirms it has deployed a team to the Otter Tail Station. A preliminary report indicates that one train was travelling through the siding to pass a parked train when multiple cars derailed, though all of them stayed upright. There are no reports of fires or leaks in this instance. While the TSB team has not been sent to Revelstoke, it is gathering information about that derailment as well. The Transportation Safety Board did not make anyone available for an interview on either matter. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. There's been a rash of farm equipment thefts in the South Okanagan, particularly in the Osuyas area. Police are warning farmers to keep a close eye on their property and ensure equipment is secure. In the past month, two tractors, two rugged terrain vehicles and one all-terrain vehicle have been stolen. RCMP believe the equipment and ATVs are being loaded onto trailers and driven off. Police are even suggesting farmers install camera systems as a deterrent. Anyone with information on the thefts is asked to contact the Osuyas RCMP.
Metro Vancouver is getting set to lead the charge to have stratas and rental properties included in environmental incentive programs. Provincial and federal agencies offer millions every year in rebates for energy efficient appliances such as heat pumps, but strata owners and rental buildings are usually excluded, leaving owners to foot the bill on their own. This week, Metro Vancouver will debate a motion pressing the province to include a wider range of buildings in clean energy incentives. We know um, that as a priority, we need to focus on those larger buildings uh, across the region, the multi-unit, the rental, the affordable, including uh, the strata that haven't been included in these programs are just not eligible. And uh, I think this is a real benefit and a win-win. Uh, we know um, it will play a key role in reducing overall emissions across the region over time. Local governments are calling for millions of dollars to be added to incentive programs. If the motion passes Metro Vancouver, it'll go to the Union of BC Municipalities in September. Hundreds lined the streets of Victoria's Chinatown, ready to celebrate the Lunar New Year. The festivities included the famous lion and dragon dances, which paraded down Fiskard Street towards the location of Victoria's Chinese Benevolent Association. Victoria is home to the oldest Chinatown in Canada. Several streets were closed off for the celebrations, attendees eager to ring in the year of the dragon. We were also here last year and we found that there's a lot of, a lot of people today, so it was fun. Yeah, it was very it energetic and um, a bit more, um, I guess, loud and people in this year. This is Canada's oldest, smallest Chinatown, and it is packed wall to wall with people waiting to see this happen. This is our first time here, yeah. And what did you think? Did you think it was fun, Dory? Yeah, it's very fun. We like when it throws the lettuce. The leaves are thrown to the crowd to represent good fortune. Still to come, the knitted mitten comeback. A popular cancer campaign is relaunched after a decade-long break. How to get your hands on and in the fundraising effort. And the drama students in Prince George not putting on your average high school production. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. After a 10-year absence, the Cranbrook Company is reviving a fundraiser that has raised more than a million dollars for breast cancer care. Here's Cassidy Moscone with a story that's sure to warm your hearts and your hands. Susan Stern's life changed in 2018. I was just bathing and found a golf ball sized lump in my left breast. That day I scheduled a mammogram and within about two and a half weeks, I was getting a full and official breast cancer diagnosis. Uh, the, the line, you know, it's, you've got cancer are the words you never want to hear. Well, it's true. It, it sinks in fast and hard that you have a life threatening illness. Six years later and cancer-free, Susan is one of the lucky ones. One in eight Canadian women is expected to develop breast cancer in their lifetime. One in 34 will die from the disease. Scary Statistics, a woman-owned company in the Kootenays, is hoping to change one stitch at a time. And hopefully we'll do 
hundreds and hundreds of these. The group relaunching its Pink Ribbon Mittens fundraiser after a 10-year hiatus. We partnered with the Canadian Cancer Society um, to support their breast cancer research and support services. So we're selling the mittens, um, donating $2 from every pair sold um, to go towards those great causes. In its last five years, the fundraiser generated $1 million for life-saving breast cancer research and support programs. Support services are mission critical. There's research on how both women with strong social networks during treatment as well as after treatment in fact have lower recurrence rates. The mittens are available for pre-order now and will arrive in time for Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October. The project is as much about raising money as it is sparking conversations that could save lives. We want people in early to get those screening exams. Caught early, there's a greater chance of getting through all your treatment and then living a long, happy life. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. A high school drama teacher in Prince George finds herself straying from the usual types of performances. Instead, she's challenging her students to participate in a performance that explores themes of conformity, censorship and the suppression of individuality in what appears to be a perfect society. Dave Branco of CKPG News reports. For these drama students and teacher, it's another lunch break spent table reading for an upcoming performance. The novel, The Giver, is the basis for this year's play. It's a hard story with a lot of horrible things in it, but I kind of feel like as a world we've been through some hard stuff and I didn't want to give them something frivolous. I, I wanted to do something really meaningful this year. For some schools across the province, the novel The Giver is required reading. The book addresses sensitive topics and the sacrifice of personal freedom. However, due to its adult themes, it isn't the material typically used in a school play. My goal is that we begin a conversation. I, I feel like we need to be informed citizens who are thoughtful and listen to each other and are quite conscious of values. The plot and the novel's popularity have made some students think about society's behaviour. I had to, Jonas. I never picked up on the deeper emotional cues. I, I noticed, oh yeah, don't love each other, but I never thought, well, what are the consequences of that? So let's go to Unit 89. I really hope that they take away that like, they should share things with people. Like if they're feeling sad, or like they shouldn't keep it a bundle up because they're going to like... It's going to be too much for them. They're going to need someone to talk to. I'm not anything at all. I like being connected with society and like thinking about the deep things, even if it's like ugly. I, I enjoy shedding light on it and letting people know that this stuff happens. I know those lights. The senior drama class at Cedars Christian School will perform the classic novel, The Giver, on February 22nd, 23rd and 24th at the Lakewood Alliance Church. Tickets are available by going to the school's website. We're home. Dave Branco, CKPG News. Still to come, improving the quality of life for our four-legged family members. The work being done south of the border to better detect cancer in dogs. And why are staff at the iconic Eiffel Tower going on strike ahead of the Summer Olympics?
Five mountain bikers in Washington state have been attacked by a cougar. The Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife says the attack happened Saturday afternoon in the hills of Snoqualmie, east of Seattle. One woman has been taken to hospital to be treated for her injuries. News of a cougar attack, startling to those hitting the trails. I'm shocked, definitely shocked. Never heard of attack of cyclists. I thought they mostly attack, you know, hikers in remote areas in the wilderness. It's kind of surprising just because I find cougar, I don't worry about cougar attacks necessarily. Like I tend to think of them as being pretty rare. But early Saturday afternoon, a cougar attack on a group of five cyclists injuring a 60 year old woman. Her fellow bikers pinned down the cougar until a Washington Fish and Wildlife agent was able to get there. They did struggle with this animal. They did fight back. And if it wasn't for these people, um, this uh, uh, the, the lady that was attacked would be in much worse shape. Agents did shoot and kill the cougar, which was a kitten around six months old, according to the Fish and Wildlife statewide cougar specialist. It is likely the younger ones who cause the most trouble because they're still figuring things out. They're still figuring out how to take down prey, what's good. The group was in a wilderness area along Tokel Creek, five miles north of Snoqualmie. A second cougar was spotted by one of the cyclists and took off. While it didn't attack anyone, Fish and Wildlife searched for the animal using hounds to track it. But by nightfall, had to stop the search. Where this happened was close to a creek, where's their natural place to follow because that's where prey goes. These bicyclists just happen to be in that place, wrong place at the wrong time. They don't look for people to stay away from people 99% of the time. WDFW says cougar attacks are rare in the state. In the last 100 years, there have been two deadly attacks and 20 that left someone hurt and has advice on what to do if you encounter one. Don't act like a prey, make noise, act big, don't run. Don't approach him. And now those biking the trails, keeping an extra eye out. I'll just be a bit more cautious, yeah. A new federal initiative to be unveiled next week is aimed at tackling Canada's growing housing crisis. Global News has learned the federal government will partner with the province of B.C. to give developers a building boost through cheaper federal loans in the hopes of kickstarting construction on provincial land. Mackenzie Gray reports from Ottawa. The Liberals are reaching for a well-used tool to try and spur more home building, this time partnering with the NDP in British Columbia. Thanks so much. Last week, BC Premier David Eby unveiled BC Builds, a new program to construct rental units on provincially owned land. And senior government sources tell Global News the federal Liberals will announce next week that they're partnering with BC planning to provide low-cost federal government loans to both the province and developers to grow the scope of the project, something the Premier hinted at last week. I had a really great conversation with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau about what we're doing here, the leadership we're showing in BC. I know there's a lot of interest at the federal level. BC Builds already has three projects underway and is looking to build roughly 4,000 units for middle-income British Columbians. But sources say the key reason the federal government is working with BC is speed. EB is promising it will take as little as 12 months from concept to construction compared to three to five years right now. And sources say the Liberals are willing to let other premiers know that if they want to bring in similar programs, they can count on the same support from Ottawa. So that's the policy, but here's the politics of the move. Firstly, the Liberals want to politically put the housing ball partially back in the provincial court. Many folks will remember the Prime Minister saying this 
back in August. I'll be blunt as well. Housing isn't a primary federal responsibility. It's uh, not something that we have direct carriage of. And that sentiment is still echoed by senior liberals that I talk with. They'll tell you that they want the provinces and cities to do more, and they're hoping by signaling the federal government will help you if you follow the BC model, that it takes the heat off Trudeau and housing in Ottawa and moves it to premiers at provincial legislatures. Secondly, the prime minister, he spent tons of political capital on housing, and it hasn't worked. They're still down in the polls, 10 plus points to the Conservatives. And while experts will tell you they like the policies the Liberals have brought in on housing, but it will take at least two years before it will impact the market. So they like the speed that David Eby is willing to bring things in. It's politically attractive to them, and that's important for them in the next election. They're hoping to campaign on these issues in BC, in particular in the Lower Mainland, a must-win area for Justin Trudeau if he wants to be Prime Minister after the next election. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, Ottawa. There are concerns on Canada's east coast for those living in tent cities, a problem Vancouver knows all too well. Halifax first designated sites for tent encampments in 2022 and added more in 2023 as housing needs grew. Now a decampment deadline is looming for five of Halifax's 11 tent cities due to safety concerns. Officials in Halifax say better shelters are being prepared, but there are concerns whether there will be enough. I believe that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be very busy trying to find homes for individuals. If things go well, and it has been going well, that they could be starting to put guests in them, hopefully within a couple of weeks. Uh, it's going well. The snowstorms haven't helped. These new mini shelters, complete with power and heat, are set to house 19 people. The eviction deadline is set for later this month. One of the world's most recognizable landmarks and most visited sites is scheduled to shut down on Monday. Paris's famed Eiffel Tower will close its doors to visitors tomorrow as its workers are expected to go on strike. Union members say government officials are underestimating the cost of work planned for the monument ahead of this summer's Olympic Games. They argue it would result in lax maintenance work and put a heavier workload on employees. The Eiffel Tower welcomes almost 6 million visitors every year. Researchers at Virginia Tech are working on a new method for early cancer detection in dogs, hoping to extend and give your dog a better quality of life. Reporter Amy Cockerham spoke to researchers about how it all works. It's by far the most common cause of death and also by far the most common cause of concern for owners cancer, a dreaded diagnosis for humans and their pets. Dr. Nick Dervasis is part of a team at Virginia Tech that's testing a new non-invasive cancer screening method that can be done at home. It analyzes your dog's urine. The accuracy tends to be over 90% to distinguish cancer from non-cancer. They're still testing how well it works on different breeds and ages. Sit! My puppy Clover would not make a great candidate for this test and that's because researchers say that puppies, they're still developing and the urine test isn't as accurate. Finding cancer early can allow you to treat it earlier and for some cancers that can be curative, that can or prolong significantly survival. And that can improve your dog's quality of life too. Researchers want to get this test out as soon as possible but they still have more work to do. So I hope that in the next five to 10 years, we'll have a test available for at least some use. And one day the test might not only be for your dog, but you too. It doesn't matter 
what species you're using it. In fact, the same team of engineers that developed this particular test and this publication has done a lot of work on working with humans. Still ahead, the effort to stop the ongoing tree removal in Stanley Park. The city's chopping down a staggering number of trees after a moth infestation, but opponents now say it's not entirely necessary. Thousands of trees are being cut down in Stanley Park due to a looper moth infestation. However, some park advocates say more trees are being removed than necessary. Close to 160,000, or more than a quarter of the park's trees, are slated to be cut down. Advocates say the lack of public consultation is concerning, adding there are other strategies they wished the city had used to deal with the moth infestation. There are conflicting opinions. Our concern is that these conflicting alternate opinions, which would have resulted in less extreme and less consequential measures, were not seriously considered and were not um, available for the public to scrutinize. And rather, the city of Vancouver uh, jumped uh, to a secretive decision mm -hmm. uh, and entered into a relationship with one uh, contractor who is very oriented toward forestry, not necessarily ecology. Advocates say they're looking into a court injunction in an attempt to halt tree cutting operations. Well, the rain held off today, but how is it looking tomorrow for Family Day? With more, we have meteorologist Yvonne Chow. Yvonne. Travis, we've got cloud cover this evening, a slight chance to see an isolated shower overnight tonight. A nice clearing is on the way just in time for our family day. We'll have some sunshine in the mix. So a nice clearing with a mix of sun and cloud through the day tomorrow. An increase in cloud cover will start to pick up late in the day and highs anywhere between nine and a few spots getting up to 10 degrees. We do still have that cloud cover though across the island that'll build in for the afternoon on family day. And if you're traveling in towards the interior, we've got dry conditions for the mountain passes. Now we've got a brief break on Tuesday late in the day and then by Wednesday the next wave of moisture is going to move in if you're making plans for the week it'll likely be on Wednesday that we'll see the return for some wet weather and then easing off once again towards our Thursday Friday. I wanted to show the temperature trend in the coming days we're still seeing highs double digits 10 and up to 11 degrees average for this time of the year sits closer to nine. Now areas along the coast will bump up to seven as a daytime high quite pleasant into the northeastern corners of the province a touch cooler across the central interior with highs just getting up to minus Two. We've got sunny skies for the southern interior and extending in towards the Colombian Kootenai region. Kelowna will see highs closer to three degrees and it's late towards the evening hours. Southern regions of the Okanagan could still see a few wet flurries in the mix. Whistler will see highs up to five degrees. Most areas across the island, a bit of an increase in cloud cover will start to pick up. That'll be late in the day in areas near Victoria with highs up to eight. Across the lower mainland, we're into the double digits, 10 and up to 11 degrees. More cloud cover across the Fraser Valley through the day tomorrow. We'll see a nice bright spot once again on our Tuesday, Wednesday. That blip in the forecast with a chance for some showers should taper off to just a few isolated showers by Thursday, but highs in the coming days between 10 and 11 degrees and a nice bright spot through the day for our family day with a mix of sun and cloud. Travis? Right, thanks Yvonne. Families and fans watching in anticipation as a BC minor hockey team hit a huge milestone playing in the finals of the famous Quebec International Pee Wee Tournament. It's the first time the Semiamu Ravens has sent a team to the finals and the sixth time a team from BC has played the finals in the tournament's 64-year history. The annual event gives players aged 11 and 12 a chance to play against competition from around the world.
Very special game for the kids. It's it's always cool to see community hockey have success, and when it's in your own community and they get an opportunity of a lifetime to play in front of 15,000 fans on the biggest stage, it's, it's just really cool to see. The Ravens only lost one game all season ahead of the tournament before losing 5-1 in the finals. Despite the loss, the association says reaching the final was an incredible achievement and experience for the team. Yeah, it's incredible. We've got some of the players... NHL players have, have played at that time. Oh, really? It's incredible. They have uh, such an atmosphere. They're actually one of the boys on that team. His sister plays on my daughter's hockey team. Oh, so wow. Radar, so good for him. They, they're, they're an excellent uh, young squad. And that's, just to get an invitation to Quebec yeah. is huge, so well, good for them. Congratulations. Yeah. What do you got coming up? Well, speaking of uh, great hockey teams, the Canucks have been great all year. Last night, yeah, Winnipeg Jets kind of showed them what it might be like in the playoffs. We'll take a look back at their 4-2 loss. And there's another first-place hockey team around here, UBC Thunderbirds. Haven't had a great history of winning, but uh, that could all change this year. So we'll have a story on the Thunderbird men when we come back as well. Okay, thanks Barry. And after the break, we'll head to a hockey rink in Nova Scotia where history is being kept alive. Young hockey players over there marking African Heritage Month by paying tribute to the pioneering players of the past. Hockey players in Nova Scotia are marking African Heritage Month. The Coloured Hockey League of the Maritimes hosted its annual memorial game Saturday evening with players celebrating the league's rich history while inspiring the next generation of BIPOC athletes. Vanessa Wright reports. It's a show put on every year for the last 12 years by the Coloured League of the Maritimes. The goal, to celebrate and rekindle a special time in history. To see our people in the stands celebrating the game and the broader community, it just shows us that the history is worthwhile celebrating and uh, we do it happily. The Coloured League of the Maritimes stretches back decades, existing in Nova Scotia between 1895 and 1930. Hundreds of players across more than a dozen teams competed for the historical Coloured Hockey Championship. Nowadays, memorial games are played in its honor, working to keep that history alive and inspiring black players on the rise. I kind of just went out and had fun and just tried to um, really take in everything that was going on because I definitely don't get to experience a full black team and playing against a full black team very often. Black players have been in this game for a very long time and they should feel welcome and they should excel at the game as their forefathers have. The Amherst Royals and the Hammonds Plains Mossbacks went head-to-head -head during Saturday night's game that was coached by a special guest, a superstar in women's hockey, Angela James. What a beautiful thing to, to do to, uh, you know, bring together um, different uh, players from different communities and celebrate uh, Black History Month and, and also the culture of uh, hockey. James was one of the first two women and the second black athlete to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. She says it's nice to see the community embracing inclusivity. That's, that's really what it's all about. It's, uh, it's really about, um, you know, the melting pot and everybody, uh, um, you know, coming together. Vanessa Wright, Global News, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. After the break, we'll keep the hockey theme going. Barry's here with sports, the Canucks heading out on a road trip, and we'll catch up with another local squad. Why things are finally looking up for the men's hockey team out of UBC. All right, Barry's back, and yeah, watching that game yesterday, 
It had a different feel to it. It was intense. Yeah, it was really intense. It was fun to watch, but uh, Canucks didn't uh, pass with flying colors like many of us <laughs> thought they would. All right, thanks so much, Travis. The uh, Canucks are back on the road again. Three games in a four-day stretch starting tomorrow morning in Minnesota. 11 a.m. face-off here with the President's Day down in the U.S. Family Day up here, so most can watch. They also have stops in Colorado Tuesday and Seattle Thursday. Canucks don't have much time to get over a rare loss. Last night, the Jets won a robust playoff style battle 4-2 and for once the ice cold power play now in an 0 for 19 slump did cost them the game. I thought 5 and 5 were really good. Yeah, they, they, they won the special team battle but I thought we were better 5 and 5. So, But there's, there's a lot of care in that room so I'm actually happy with the effort. It felt like the power play had a chance to make a difference in this game. What's going wrong right now? Not sure. Um, yeah, obviously they scored two. We didn't score any. I think we we played hard and had emotion the whole night and uh, a couple slip-ups by, by me there, and, and that's the game. How little is the margin of error against a team like Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teams I can capitalize. Um, you know, they have some good players. You know, the, the players that uh, made the plays on the, on the third and fourth goals are good players. Uh, they're able to make those plays, uh, you know, a lot in a game. And... Uh, you just have to, you know, rebound. There's no point in worrying about it. Uh, you know, we've played some really good hockey. I thought we played some good hockey tonight. We just got to keep pushing forward. All right, outdoor hockey from MetLife Stadium in New York, the usual home of the NFL's Giants and Jets. Today, the Rangers and Islanders, Bo Horvat, gave the Isles a 2-1 lead in the first, beating Igor Shesterkin. Isles led 5-3 with just four minutes to go, but they took penalties and the Rangers punished them, scoring two power play goals, both with the goalie pulled. This one by Mika Zibanejad with a minute to go. Tied it up at five. The 80,000 mostly Ranger fans go wild. And then just 10 seconds into OT, Isles gave the puck away. Artemi Panarin scores. Now the Isles knocked the net off the moorings before the puck went in, but the shot was in progress before the net came off, so it counts. Isles have lost 14 times in OT and shootouts 6-5 the final today in Pittsburgh they retired Yarmir Yager's number 68 he played 11 of his 24 NHL seasons in Pitt won two Stanley Cups 439 goals and of course the best mullet in NHL history he's now 52 Pens have had some superstars haven't they they still got one Sidney Crosby 36 years old that's his 31st goal he's having a great year one nothing Pitt and uh, Yags loves it but Kings spoil a party. They tied it with about six minutes left, and then shorthanded Adrian Kempe gets the game winners with about two minutes to go, and the Kings win it by the final of two to one. UBC's athletic teams have had success in a variety of sports, soccer, volleyball, field hockey, basketball, pretty much everything, with the exception of men's hockey. Now, since UBC's academic standards are so high, a lot of the top hockey recruits end up going to other schools like Alberta, Calgary, and Saskatchewan. But things have changed, and now UBC is poised to end a long drought in Canada West. They will host the semifinals next week with a berth at Nationals on the line. Kuo to the right wing side for the captain, Douglas. He has a step to the goal. Chris Douglas all the way through the goal and scores! Oh, the last and only time UBC ever won a Canada West men's hockey title, 
Paul Henderson was still over a year away from scoring the most dramatic goal in Canadian hockey history. It's been a minute, but under coach Sven Butenschon, the UBC program has made a steady climb back to contender. They made it to the final two years ago and the semi-final last year. In his nine seasons at UBC, Butenschon has gradually stepped up his talent pool, mostly with Western Hockey League grads. Lately, we've been pretty lucky in adding those high-end, you know, 80, 90-point WHL players that have NHL, uh, you know, uh, camp experiences and have been drafted to the NHL. And, uh, you know, the combination of the, the gritty, hardworking guy with some, some higher-end skill has kind of put us in, in the situation we're in. UBC's always had a disadvantage at recruiting time, trying to attract quality hockey players who also must have elite grades to find a spot in perhaps the highest academic standard university in all of Canada. But times are changing. Education has been stressed much more in the Western Hockey League and in hockey academies, which many of the top players attend. The evidence is once they're here, they excel. So even if it's if it's hard for them to get in, once they're here, they do a great job keeping their academics up. And we have a record all Canadians uh, this year, I think seven. Uh, so that's above an 80% uh, playing hockey in this league. And a physical sport like that is uh, is pretty impressive. This UBC team is full of guys who are thriving at both hockey and education, and it's a win-win for everyone. You know, guys who do well in school, guys who do well in all areas of life, you know, those are the guys you want on your team, um, guys who put, you know, their effort, everything into, you know, anything they do. Um, that's what makes a team a bunch of winners. You know, if the pro hockey thing doesn't work out, I think all of us, uh, you know, that, that's what our goal was when we entered the Western League, or, uh, you know, some guys junior A, whatever that is, and uh, this league gives you a chance to continue pursuing your pro career and set yourself up for life. Now they're focused on that first Canada West title in over half a century and a spot at the Nationals, which are in Toronto this year. Uh, downtown Toronto in the old Maple Leaf Gardens. So uh, that's been our mission since the end of August and we've talked about it and, and now we're just trying to get one step closer. It mean the world to all of us. I mean, we all want this so badly. Or from our players to our staff to our alumni, you know, they're all rooting for us and, you know, we're vying to get her done. And game one Friday at UBC uh, in their playoffs, so check that out. It's been a nice start for the two BC rinks at the Scotties National Women's Curling in Calgary. That skipped Clancy Grandy of the Vancouver Curling Club taking on the Northwest Territories. They would end up stealing three in this the 10th end to win 10-5. They're now 2-0. The other BC rink, Corin Brown of Kamloops, beat PEI 9-5 to improve to 2-1. Final round of the Genesis Invitational from Riviera in Los Angeles. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor, of course, won in dramatic fashion last week in Phoenix. Had it going in his final round, got it to six under, but Nick kind of ran out of gas. Triple bogey and double bogey on the back ended up at one under, tied 39th, still 182,000. But his good buddy Adam Hadwin did light it up, and it was very profitable. Rolls in the birdie at the second, and then at the third, Delicate downhiller, nice touch when Adam gets on a roll with the putter. He can make some. Started his round with three straight birdies, shot four under on the front. Then at the 17th, he will uh, show off that great short game of his. He will stick the wedge close. Six under 65 today, second best round of the final round. Finished tied fourth. He won 867,000 U.S. Adam Svensson of Surrey was 10th and won 455. So the 
big bank for some of the BC boys this weekend, but Hideki Matsuyama of Japan was on another level, already six under for the day. How about this approach at the tough 15th? Almost holds it for an eagle, and he wasn't done yet. His tee shot on the next hole, the par 3 16th. This one's even better. Matsuyama right at the pin. And this one settles inside a foot, almost an ace. Nine under 62, eight back of uh, Patrick Cantley when the day began, ended up winning by three. The 62 is the lowest final round score by any champion at Riviera. And it's Matsuyama's ninth PGA Tour victory, which is the most of any Asian male golfer, breaking the tie with Korea's KJ Choi. And we'll finish with the NBA All-Star Game in Indianapolis. Canada's own Shea Gilgis-Alexander, first-time starter for the West, a real threat to win MVP as he leads the OKC Thunder. Gilgis-Alexander with the offensive board and jam here, two of his 10 points in the first half. Scotty Barnes of the Raptors in his first All-Star Game goes in for the dunk. As you can see, defense is not an option. It's actually even not allowed. Uh, that's the score at the half, 104.89, as they try to get to 200 at the All-Star game. But as I said, thankfully, it'll all be over, and they'll get back to the season yeah. sometime next week. Yeah, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks, Barry. And after the break, the Nanaimo man not bottling up how he feels about his lifelong hobby. Stay with us. A Vancouver Island man has spent half a century traveling great lengths for a hobby that requires him to get a little dirty while dusting off some BC history deep in the ground. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. Gearing up for another dig. This is treasure hunting for a certain type of collector. This was uh, Nanaimo's uh, Chinatown area and uh, this was a low spot and they filled it in the 1890s with uh, garbage from the city. For the past 50 years, Bill Wilson has been scouring the province for buried bottles. I started out wanting to learn about BC history. A hobby he took up back in the early 1970s. Some good friends of mine, uh, we started digging in high school and we got hooked and we never stopped. Taking a deep dive into old city dumps, uncovering a bottle bonanza. You could find anything in here, whiskeys, beers, soda pops. That bottle there is from Colwood, BC, and that's one of a kind. Every little town had their own little bottling plant. And this urban archeology span is a trip through time. Just getting fabulous bottles, because they're 1890s, which is the right era. That Ogopogo is Paul's Beverages from Vernon. Offering a look back at some long gone BC companies. Uh, Dawson Creek Beverages, Kelowna Beverages. That one's from Caslow, that one's a pretty rare one. He's written books, received historical merits, a legend in the collector's community that's popular all around the province. There's a marble in it. You name a town, I can guarantee you somebody has dug bottles there, if not me. Victoria, Kamloops. My Wilson's favorite, collection is pretty uh, much complete. You know, 1960s, 1970s, this one's Kelowna. I've got the bottles that I want. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing I'm missing. But that doesn't mean he'll ever lose the thrill of the hunt. We still find new variants of bottles that nobody knew about. It's amazing after 50 years, new discoveries still keep being made. It's incredible. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Some of those older bottles were beautiful. There was a real art to the bottles mm -hmm. before. I remember when I was a kid, the uh, pop shop 
spelled P-O-P-P-E-S-H-O-P-P-E, -P -P -E, Pop <laughs> yeah. Shop. It was always a big thrill at the Pop Shop bottles. They had very funny flavors, I remember that. I wonder how much uh, money he'd get if he returned all of those bottles. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. He's going to keep doing yeah. it. All right, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great night. Good night.